This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Begin Again, and the author is Andrea Donatelli, and Andrea joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Andrea. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good to have you with us. Now, you say this, you have uh, written a short introduction of your book, and here's what you say. I have written a small book titled Begin Again. It is based on Christianity and how one can live and follow the examples of God. That's right. So why did you write this book? Well, I, I saw the need, you know, to ignite change in the way uh, we as human beings address issues affecting humanity. For instance, um, you know, uh, we're considered civilized, but we have been uh, trying to eliminate poverty in the world for over a hundred years, but I don't see you know, that we've made any progress. So there is something that we need to change about that. We need to, you know, take time to to uh, go through the thought process, um, see how we, you know, how we follow through on charity, <clears throat> probably, you know, put some more accountability into the process uh, so that we can make some effective, you know, progress. How do you think we? How do you think as Christians we should do this? Uh, how do you? How do you? Uh, because it is an all. Everything is a personal decision. You can't have some outside agency like government or anything like that do right. it. We've got to take responsibility, right? Exactly. Well, um, we as Christian, I consider myself a Christian too. In we as Christian, um, the way I see. Um, our, you know, our shortfalls is that we are very laid back. We, you know, read the Bible and we we believe in prayer, but we're not taking action. You know, we lack action in in what what needs to be done in order to be effective. You know, according to God's word. Um, take for instance. Um, Christianity or Christian organizations, missionary workers, what they do is um, ask for charity and they give, you know, to the poor, but they don't teach the poor, you know, how to come out of poverty. So we have a, we have a cycle that goes on and on. You know, we keep giving, but we're not taking um, the people that we're giving to, we're not taking them out of that process of poverty. And that's, you know, where I see as Christianity, we're not doing the right thing. Well, your book is filled with scriptures, and it's also filled with some personal insights that that Mm -hmm. you have shared, right? Right. Now, I'm going to read one of those, and let me read it, and then you can comment on uh, this which you wrote. It's called Begin Again, right? It's the very first entry in your book. Uh-huh. And here's what you say. A new day is another beginning, a chance to start over and discover the presence of God in our daily lives. Spend time with Him. Practice. 
spiritual discipline and experience a life transformation. We are at a crossroad to reawaken the belief in God by using the road map that was given as a reference guide to journey through life. The Ten Commandments, or otherwise called the Laws of God, is that road map for moral, spiritual, and equality, free to all mankind. Tell us about your feelings about what you wrote. Well, we, you know, in in the world, we find a lot of of um, wars and and, and resentment and uh, injustice. You know, because uh, we look at each other um, not in a godly way. Um, you know, we compete with each other. We compare ourselves with each other. We we have a lot of jealousy. You know, envy. And um, <clears throat> that is not of God. You know, we we do it in, within ourselves as human beings, and and it goes, you know, in communities and uh, you know, countries against countries. You know, and I feel that if we change, if we change that way of thinking, if we t- change that way of the way we do things, you know, and follow, you know, follow God, follow the Bible. Because if we followed the Bible, we would, you know, we would ask ourselves, is this something that is pleasing to God, you know, before we make decisions and actions? And I think doing that, we would um, be able to live in peace. We would be able to, you know, get ourselves out of the current situation that we're in. You know, there would be less poverty, less wars, less injustice in the world, and that's what I mean by, um, you know, a begin again and a new day, you know, starting over, because um, the Bible talks about, you know, a change in your mind process when you become a new person. Here's another one called Love One Another, and you quote from Matthew, Matthew 22, 37 through 39, and then you make a few thoughts, uh, give a few thoughts After the scripture, let me read that, and you can comment on this one. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then you say this, Love should not be confused with lust or intimacy. Genuine love is kindness, accountability, responsibility, and respect to all mankind. This kind of love brings peace to the world. Right. Um, because I say that because, uh, you know, um, when you love your neighbor, you want to see the best for your neighbor. If, you're, if you see your neighbor hurting and you have a way of, you know, lifting your neighbor out of this hurt, you're just not going to stand aside and, and see that your neighbor goes through the pain. You're going to lift the neighbor out of it. Um, and a lot of people don't uh, look at that as love, you know, and that's what, that's what love is because when you love someone, you, you want to see the highest best. You say that you want the readers to take away from your book, you want the readers to visualize that we're behind in shaping a sustainable future, and there is a call for editing self. What do you mean by that, editing self? 
examine, I, I, when I say editing stuff, I mean examine yourself, examine the way you do things, examine the way you treat others, examine the way you, you know, everyone, God has given each of us gifts and abilities. Examine yourself to see if you're using these gifts and abilities that God has given you to bring out the best in others, to bring out the best in the world. You know, it doesn't have to be financial, it can be time, it can be, you know, a word of encouragement, it can be, you know, something that you can see, that you see that can be improved in the workplace, in your community, you know, or in the world in general, and uh, you should not sit back and, um, and and wait for someone else to do it, because we keep waiting and, and uh, we're just going, you know, backward. We're not going forward, and we're not making any progress because we have too many unnecessary problems in the world right now. Well, here's another one of your writings uh, from your insights. You, the, the title is Let Christ Be Visible in Your Life, and you say this, God has promised that if we follow his instructions, we will experience peace, health, prosperity, and many other divine blessings. He also said that he would make us fishers of men because he wants us to expand his territory. When we extend godliness and our actions to all people, we expand God's territory. Right, and um, <laughs> that is true. Take, for instance, um, I, I've traveled to Africa quite a bit. And I've seen, you know, as a child, I've always heard that missionaries go to Africa, you know, to help the poor. But that I'm over 40 years old, and uh, I've had the opportunity to, to travel to Africa. And I've seen for myself things that could have been done differently, you know, and that's what I mean, that um, you... You let let God be visible in your life because if you are if you're representing God, you should bring out the best. And because God wants the best, God is the best. And if you're if you're teaching others, you should teach them the best because they are looking to you as a godly person. And if you know eventually that they realize that you have not given them the best, then they would question your ability as a Christian. You say your book is easy to read. It points out areas of deficiency in Christianity, missionary work, and the lack of accountability, and it will make a reader examine self, which may inspire the proven way of living standard. So there is a, there is a high standard you're saying that we need to live if we're really going to solve a lot of the human problems. Exactly. Exactly, because we are lacking. You know, we are lacking in, in a lot of areas. In the book, I've, I've uh, referenced a couple of things um, <clears throat> that missionaries, you know, that I personally saw that was done incorrectly. And uh, if we do things correctly and be accountable to, you know, to ourselves as, you know, godly people, we wouldn't have to repeat the same, you know, the same thing. Because we're putting band-aids on things instead of um, solving the problem. Could you give us some examples of what was done incorrectly well, as you as you well, witnessed it? 
yes. Um, I in the book I mentioned about an organization, a missionary organization that I wanted to be a part of because I uh, <coughs> wanted to help, you know, eliminate um, poverty in some parts of Africa. So I was doing some research, and there is one organization I came upon, and I um, asked them to send me some literature on, you know, on their work over there. And the way, the way, um, the things that they uh, wrote in the magazine, it it was not considered development, as you know, they wanted to dig a hole in the ground, you know, to cook food, you know, and uh, in the Western world, we don't do that. So my thought was, if we don't do this in the in the Western world, why are we teaching people, you know, to cook like that when there are better ways of cooking? We have, you know, firewood, we have you know, charcoal, we have solar, we have um, different means of, you know, um, um, cooking. So we should teach them a more improved way, you know, of, um, of cooking. So that was one, one, one uh, thing that I noticed was done wrong. Then I, um, I was invited by the Center for International Trade and Development to uh, help expand uh, multilateral businesses in Africa. And one gentleman <coughs> that I knew personally was given a contract to build homes in Africa. And what he did was he built um, mobile homes in the U.S. and shipped them to Africa. You know, and people in Africa, they make less than a dollar a day. So what, and when he got the homes there, he couldn't sell them, so they sat at the port. You know, that was a lot of collateral that went to waste, you know, and these organizations consider themselves Christian, you know, and if you're a Christian, you yeah, you should, you know, know better. You should, um, you know, uh, portray, portray the the actions of Christ and not of greed and, and selfishness. Any other closing thoughts that you'd like to share with us, Andrea? Um, well, I just, you know, would like um, <clears throat> my book to connect with people, and uh, I think my book is, you know, very inspirational, and it would help, you know, help us to um, do better in the future. Tell us how to get your book. Uh, it is available at all the bookstores. It is also available at Amazon.com. It's available online. Um, you know, if you Google the author's last name, uh, it's available at uh, uh, many book outlets. Well, we want to thank you for being on Author Talk. Okay, thank you for your time. That was Andrea Donatelli. She is the author of her book, Begin Again. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. 
It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing editorial services and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Sending a heartfelt message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Shepherd's Guide Through the Valley of Debt and Financial Change, a comprehensive manual for financial management, counseling, and spiritual guidance. And the author, Reverend Dr. Flora Williams, who is internationally known in academic circles and in training of financial planners. Hello, Dr. Williams. Hello. Good to have you with us. I want to read your introduction, and then we'd like to find out about your background, and also why you wrote the book. So here, here's how you wrote your introduction to a friend in a sentence or two. The Shepherd's Guide is a comprehensive training manual for professionals and volunteers who want to improve excellence and expertise in assisting people on, in all areas of financial management. It is unique by being comprehensive in counseling theories and techniques to assist in changing financial behavior and in spiritual guidance related to economic theology. Now, obviously, it's very comprehensive, as you said, and we'll get into some of the details. But first of all, Dr. Williams, give us a little of your background and then why you wrote this book. I was a professor at Purdue University for 32 years doing teaching and research on these issues that uh, individuals and families face, and I had a clinic for 25 years, and I I found that people are ill-informed and confused, and that the professionals that are uh, assisting people in maybe one area of their lives are ill-equipped to address some of the current issues that are facing families today. And so a great need to get to the bottom line, I guess, so to speak, to really help people uh, because so many of the books that are written today don't really go into the actual tools that you need. Right, and this book also addresses the underlying causes and orientation and not just treating the symptoms. I find it interesting that you put in the beginning of your book 
about Jesus' teachings, you say there are 2,172 references in the Bible to money and possessions, three times more than love, seven times more than prayer, and eight times more than belief. So certainly the use of money was a very focal point of Jesus' teachings. Right. However, the pastors, priests, rabbis, uh, church leaders, Christian educators, Christian counselors do not know how to talk about money. They, they do not know how to use these um, ideas uh, of Jesus. And this book will not only help them in one-to-one counseling, but give ideas for sermons or, or for study groups and fulfilling um, a foundation that is, that is sound and, and scriptural. So you're providing practical steps, very down-to-earth practical steps that anyone could understand. Yes, there's, there's, it's technical, and there's forms that they can use. Um, there are uh, concrete ways that they can talk to their family members about money, and there's ways that they I can talk with financial planners, um, so it, it equips them to go beyond what what is currently available in, in other books. Why do you think that these kinds of counselors fail to address the the deep needs that people have and helping them to really get in charge of their financial lives? Well, there, there are several reasons. Um, they have so many areas to address in life that they they think that they they cannot uh, maybe learn some new things at this time. So the book precisely and clearly gives them some tools. Uh, also, they say, well, there's some books out there they can read on personal finance, but they're not really um, up to date with today's economic downturns and crises, and, and so they hesitate to handle this. And many of them have not had in their training the counseling theories and techniques. Um, this gives examples and case studies on how to talk with people and how to work with people and how to work with low-income people and how to work with high-income people and wanting to improve their estate planning and all those areas. They shy away from it. They, they may say, well, it's grimy to talk about money. Uh, however, that's what they themselves think about all the time. They themselves have these problems. The whole book is written from a fresh approach, using the, the jargon from the, the, the 23rd Psalm so um, instead of saying getting out of debt, it says uh, uh, out of the snares and thickets of credit. And uh, it, it is comprehensive because it's based on my experience, what are the real issues that people face? I noticed you... Now something has been done for 50 years and then dusted off and presented again, which many of the current books do. But what are the real issues that people are thinking and talking about, but have been hesitant to talk to their professional um, financial planner or their clergy or volunteers. You say your book provides useful approaches to overcoming addictions and spending. Now, that's an interesting term, addictions and spending. Most of us wouldn't admit to that. Well, and, but be sure to add to that, and gambling, because we, we can... As the current books will say, you know, set up a budget and everything. But if you have an underlying problem of addiction, and there's lots of addictions besides spending and gambling that are wrecking ha- the, the, the budget. And so we need to understand ways to help people with those issues. 
Now, you also have scriptural references woven throughout the chapters. Why did you feel that uh, was a need in your book? This book is transforming. It gives a different orientation. It gives a, a, a spiritual guidance based on faithfulness into finances, and this is what makes the book unique. There are hundreds of personal finance books. But this book is unique in that it combines the scripture, it binds theology, and for example, one seminary is using it for their pastoral care and counseling, and using it for the, the pastoral theology. In this book, there is a, our new model of what we call theology of finances. This has never been presented or written up before. And this is what gives the person the courage to change. If you ask me why, I think that's necessary. Not only gives them a scriptural foundation, but it gives them the courage to change and to be different and to be in control of their own life instead of credit or commercialism. And you provide real case studies in each chapter. One thing that might appeal to the professionals and financial service people and, and the clergy is that the case studies... And interviews are written by financial planners, social workers, church leaders, extension educators, and people that have had great experience in their situation. For example, there is a chapter on poverty called Not Enough Pasture for the Poor Among Us. And one of the case studies is written by a young man who volunteers with or direct the program with homeless children, homeless youth. And it's written from what we learn from them. This book is unique then. What do we learn from some other people and people who have gone through the decisions of helping their families or parents make a move to a new um, facility and you know, have to change their housing? So the case studies, one like this example, the estate planning of one couple. People learn better by case studies, I think, and, and it illustrates the points that what they must do, and the case studies as well as the rest of the text gives at least the questions to ask the professional they're working with, to ask the questions of the clergy, and, and for the, the, the pastors and priests and to ask uh, their parishioners the, the relevant questions for changing their, their financial life. Many may say that this sounds way too technical for me, but you have written this in a real folksy style. Well, when I say folksy, I refer to individuals. These are real-life case studies, um, and so it's, it's, it's more informal that way, but yet but it is academic. It, it has all the basic uh, technical skills there, and um, with the outline, they can go through and see what they, they need, and uh, the, the professionals and the, and the clergy and, and leaders will learn uh, themselves as they're helping other people. Now, and when I use, when I say folksy, there's the real stories of people um, and situations, and uh, there are volunteers in this country under several organizations like the Stevens Ministry, and they work with people who are suffering or um, need the, the counseling, but, but they usually don't touch the, the financial issues because they don't feel Prepared. Well, this book will prepare them because it makes them feel at home with talking with people 
about about their finances, and yet it is based on um, correct, technical, up-to-date information. And you're trying to help the professional, the counselor, the the uh, clergy to really look at themselves as shepherds in assisting others. Yes, the term shepherd is used throughout because they're guiding people. This book will improve the excellence and the expertise of these shepherds. They don't have to be a complete expert, but they can guide people to, to these issues. Um, so shepherd is used so that I don't have to say every time. This refers to the pastor, the social worker, the Christian counselor, the mentor, someone that is assisting their own family members with, with finances. So all these people are shepherds. There's a guide. It's a, it's a, it's a better term to use because the guides will give them some paths, will give them some alternatives, but it, rather than demanding that they do one way. It gives them a guide. For example, the one chapter on budgeting and spending plan has 14 budgets and spending plans, not just one like your current books have, because there's different situations, there's different personalities and different problems why they need that so they can guide them for which one to use. And then they can help be, them be accountable to them. So a shepherd includes accountability as well as teaching. So a shepherd is a guide, teacher, counselor, and someone that the person is accountable to in order to improve their lives. What the guide is trying to do is mobilize resources within the individual and within the community. So this is not pointing fingers and saying, you've got to do this and you've got to do that, and this is the only way. A guide then presents several other ways that are unique to the personality and the problem, and they can give the alternative. And it has a model, several models in there for changing one financial situation or resolving a crisis or maximizing their resources. How do you feel about personal bankruptcy? Well, in one of the chapters, you will see a subtitle saying, Bankruptcy is using a cannon to kill a fly. Bankruptcy is not necessary for most people. But what this book does, which many educators don't know, it gives the advantages and the disadvantages of bankruptcy, and it gives the alternatives that you can have and, and take instead of the bankruptcy measures that people haven't even thought. You see, bankruptcy is pushed in this country. That's how attorneys make a living. They don't give the alternatives. Bankruptcy is filling out for. But what this book does is give them the alternatives, get out of debt themselves, handle their their situation and become in control of their decisions and they can overcome addictions so that bankruptcy is, is not necessary for most people. But they've not even looked at the alternatives. And the professional, the clergy and volunteers, Christian counselors, don't even know what the alternatives are. And this book points those out. One of your headings in your chapter says, A balanced life is a blessed life. One of the, the themes throughout this whole book is that the economic life is composed of spending, 
saving, and sharing. And if you don't do all three of these, you get in trouble. You're broken. If one of these things are lacking, you get into trouble if you don't have all three. So the book is showing how to maximize spending, saving, and sharing, and that will give a balance which brings happiness. Give us some closing thoughts, Dr. Williams. What are some of your closing thoughts about your book before we find out how to get it? This uh, uh, book is is a manual on a how-to-do book, but it also inspires people to to take a, a look at their finances in a different way, and especially when we're forced to in economic downturns when people lose jobs uh, or can't handle their office politics and things. This just gives them um, inspiration and, and, and techniques. Um, it, the, the book is not only educational, it's transformative. It will transform their life transform them thinking. It will give them courage. And it will give them contentment in a way that this this balanced life will give contentment and and happiness. In other words, other books with similar topics may talk about the abundant life being materialism or lots of lots of things and accumulation of wealth for wealth's sake. But this book will Show people how to have abundance life in trusting in God's care, love, and provisions. Whether they are rich or poor, it will give them uniqueness in having their finances not dictated by somebody else. Dr. Williams, how do we get your book? I have a website that they can see how to order just individual copies from Author House the Publisher or multiple copies. For me for, for use of study groups and my two websites is www.shepherdsguidetofinances.com it's also the, the other name is www.florawilliams.com and in there it will explain how they can order them directly from authorhouse www.authorhouse.com or they can contact me and I'm sure at your website you have all kinds of information about your book there as well. It has some of the, the details. Um, and, well, I, I actually have two other books that, that are there that um, are helping people in the renewal of their life and um, the, a, a spiritual memoir as well as the other books. I, I wrote many books in the past, but these are available now to people. Well, we appreciate you being with us on Author Talk. This has been a great opportunity, and I hope people will realize getting the book is an opportunity for excellence and expertise and and combining personal finance with personal devotion. That was Reverend Dr. Flora Williams. She is the author of her book, The Shepherd's Guide Through the Valley of Debt and Financial Change, a comprehensive manual for financial management, counseling, and spiritual guidance. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. 
The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives, in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Voice of Conscience. And the author is Bajet Kaya. And Bajet joins us now on Author Talk. Hello. Hi. Good to have you with us now. Thanks for having me. I'm going to read just a couple of statements which you have written concerning your book. You say that the voice of conscience is a riveting tale of life, love, and revenge. And it begins in the early 60s in a small village in northeastern Turkey. And you go into the sights and sounds of a culture rich in traditions and history. And then you follow the main character, Istanbul, London, and finally Southern California. So... Why did you write this story, which is a riveting tale of life, love, and revenge? Yes. Um, first of all, I must admit being a late bloomer as a writer. And um, after years of acting and training in theater, I thought that my acting career wasn't going, well, it was going, but it wasn't to my satisfaction. It was kind of stagnant. I was getting jobs, but I wanted to do more. So I thought that I will write a screenplay, Voice of Conscience as a screenplay. And um, having a screenplay would put me into a more control of my career. That's how I started writing this book. And then I thought, a screenplay is kind of limited because screenplay, unless the actor expressed what is in the screenplay, that depends on the actor, some actors can't, I wanted to write a book 
where there are more things, more emotion, more culture, I wanted to express. So from screenplay, then I thought that I would write a book. And then when I start writing a book, whoa, was I wrong? <laughs> it was more difficult. So it took me about three and a half years, and end of it is a voice of conscience. From the book, it can... Not easily, with a professional, they can write a screenplay from a book, and that could go much better than me writing the screenplay. You were born and raised in Turkey. <clears throat> yes, sir. And so much of your book, at the beginning anyway, is a look into the culture of Turkey, which you are very proud of. I am indeed, and then actually the, the, the second part of your first question the motivation that I wrote, I wanted to write this book was that the country of my birth fascinates people, and rightfully so, because Turkey has a long history with many civilizations enriching its soul. And most Westerners know Turkey, Istanbul, and a couple of minarets, and a mosque, and a Bosphorus. Well, Turkey isn't consist of just that just Istanbul, there is more, there is more remaining of Turkey is rich with tradition, with custom, civilization. So my motive in that, in my book, I could write some of these customs, especially the place where I was born, northeastern Turkey, I could write and share some of those traditions particularly of northeastern Turkey with the American people and Western people. And at the same time, weave throughout your culture and the traditions this thought-provoking, memorable, compelling story, a story that's filled uh, even with murder. Yes, yeah, I, I, I wasn't really expecting that this book is going to be like that. You know, I just wanted to write a good book where my readers are enjoy and, you know, and not get bored. And it is not just any other book, but it turned out to be a great book, and I'm so proud of it. So your and, novel is loosely based on your early life experiences, but it's still fiction. Partly because of my early life experiences, uh, it is a fiction. The story and murders and all that are fiction. As a first writer, first time, you know, this is my first novel, I can only write what I know. The, in the novel, you know, where the character starts, where he starts from the northeastern Turkey and goes to all those places, end up in, in the United States, is, is kind of my pattern. My, I did that. I, I just used that. But remaining of the story is Absolutely fiction. So we start out with a young boy named Ramsey? Yes. Ramsey. And he's from this small village in northeastern Turkey, and he has a, a very good family. Tell us about Ramsey, just about he and his family. What kind of a, a family is he a part of? <clears throat> well, Ramsey is a, a small, born and raised in a small village. However, we, when we say small village, small villages in Turkey, they have their own 
centuries of tradition. I mean, they grew up in a in a, a culture. It is different than our culture here. I mean, it is same but quite different. There are codes. There are things to do. There are things you are not supposed to do. And so he was brought up in a culture where you take care of yourself. That is not to say that the Eastern Turkey doesn't have a law, and it is a democracy. It's a country. There is law. There is everything. However, as an individual, as a tradition, the small village totally independent, and they don't wait for a government, somebody else, to look after them. And it is that kind of culture where he was born into and learned, and that's where he's coming from. And so he has a very close-knit family? Yes, I would say so. Uh, closeness, for example, in, in a small village, uh, when there is a wedding, a wedding is... Uh, is a, a entertainment as well as wedding. You know, two people, matrimony, getting together. But it is not just two people getting married like in the Western society here. We go to church or uh, Justice of the Peace, and in two hours we got married in Las Vegas and come and go to the honeymoon. That is not the way over there. It takes like uh, several days to complete this matrimony. And everybody involved, it is a, everybody have a part in it, entertainment for them. Even the poor, poor people of the village, they benefit from these, uh, from these activities. So it is a, it is everybody involved in, in these activities. It's a family net kind of thing. <laughs> Why is Ramsey's parents and sister murdered? Uh, okay. I don't want to give away the book, but uh, Ramsey's father is, uh, as one of my reviewers say, he is a radiant man. Like I said, there is a, there is a, in these close uh, societies, there is codes that you live by. I mean, what kind of code? Yes, there is law. I mean, if somebody violates you, you in Western world, you leave it to the law, and that's that. Uh, but in these closed societies, there is law, yes, but there is the honor that you have to protect your family. And obviously, Ramsey, Ramsey's father, uh, Oscar Mercier, when he was, um, he was a kind of person that, that he traps these outlaws. Uh, I, I don't know, he was equal to an outlaw, but he's not an outlaw. But he was given a job of trapping, capturing outlaws in those times. And then he did one, he captured one of the outlaws. And what he didn't realize that when you capture somebody like that, it's like a Robin Hood. I mean, you rob the rich and pay the poor kind of people, but people take them and mistaken. You know, they, they are, they're still an outlaw. But they do a lot of good things. 
for the for the poor people. So he did that, and he didn't realize that, you know, uh, his the outlaw he captured for the army, and his offsprings, you know, didn't they thought that it's a dishonor for them is being murdered that way. That's why he was being murdered. And so Ramsey loses his parents, he loses his sister, his whole family, and he's hauled away somewhere, um, and it's literally, he doesn't have anything. Nothing. And here's another thing. Again, it is some of the, in the culture, in a society like that, I mean, I, I got to say, right now, if that kind of society does not exist in Turkey, but it is still the remnants of the, that culture remain here and there. And so the culture dictates that if somebody came and murdered your parents and your family, you would be next because the logic, logic, that's how they think, this, these people. If you eliminate the, the family, everybody, and you left a little child, he'll grow up and come back and eliminate the enemy. That is the thinking. And that is the plot line of this story. In a way, plot line, however, it is paranoia. That is not what happened. That is the thinking. So he wonders if he'll be next. He never knows. Absolutely. He'll He's always it. looking over his shoulder, so All to speak. All the time. All the time. And he grew up with a fear that he'll be the next. That's why he escaped. He left the country and he left in all these. However, when he grows up and becomes very successful, when you're successful, you have a lot of doors open to you. And then what will he do? It's a code. It's an honor. You know, if somebody violates you, eye for an eye, nevertheless it exists. You know, it's wrong, but it exists in certain cultures. So does he know who's after him? He thinks he knows. But obviously it must be someone else. Correct. <laughs> it's someone else. Huh? Someone else, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what the drama dramatist, you know. Right. Drama comes in, you know, and if you think about it, most of the comedies all mistaken, right? That's why comedy, great comedies are mistaken. Great dramas are conflicting and also mistaken. You think that your enemy is after you, and you think you're who your enemy is, and you constantly look over your shoulder, but that is not the reality. That is not the truth. An outcome from that, a drama. Does his wife play an important part? Megan, does she play an important part in the story? Yes, it does. Megan actually... Megan comes into his life at the right time. Rescue him, I would say, from one emotion to another. You know, he, never, he has never expressed or um, experienced, experienced a love, a true love, he never did. When you, you find the, the uh, emotion of love from Megan, now he had a conflicting emotion within himself that, the main character, that it is equally 
both emotions are strong, and he cannot tell anybody. He has to keep it to himself. And uh, these conflicting emotions that he had, one is love, Megan, he has never experienced such a thing, emotion, and the other one is to uh, payback time from his enemies. And his own desire to have revenge because of the murder of his parents and sister. Correct. So there's all these, yeah, like you say, these conflicting emotions just tearing him apart. Tearing him apart. It's turmoil. He, he has all of his life turmoil. If you read the book, uh, he actually lived with a, what you call it here, traumatic stress syndrome. All of his life he lived with that and didn't know. And we have a sequel. Sequel, yes. Uh, but before the sequel, I have another book that I'm planning, which is totally nothing to do with me. So the sequel is about a naval officer. No, the other book, the one that's going to come out first then, uh, is about a naval officer, and then, they're, 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 then you will have a sequel to The yes. Voice of Conscience. Well, congratulations. Thank that, you. That's, a, that's a, a lot of writing and a lot of creativity. Thank you. Tell us how to get your book. You can get it pretty much from any store, any local store. Uh, you have to order it, Barnes & Nobles uh, or Amazon or Author House or Borders, anywhere. Well, Bajet, we appreciate you being on Author Talk. Thank you. That was Bajet. Kaya. Right. Kaya. He is the author of his book, Voice of Conscience. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to say on this uh, interview that Voice of Conscience really, really suits this book very well. However, most people uh, hear the title, they think that it is a religious or spiritual book. Nothing to do with religion or spirituality. The book, the title, very well suited to this book. Well, thank you again, Bajet. Thank you.